0: Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. If you haven't already done so, let me encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. You'll receive lessons just like this one every week. So go to iTunes, look for the Franklin Church of Christ, and hit subscribe. Today's lesson was presented to the Franklin Church of Christ on February 15, 2009. Sadly, many people today are doing lots of religious things, but are still starving to death spiritually. There are just too many junk food Christians. We want to avoid that. So open your Bible, and let's learn to heed the warning, don't be a junk food Christian.
1: I've got to let you know that about a week and a half ago, I was talking to my good buddy Terry Francis, one of my best friends, preaches over at the East Shelby Congregation outside of Memphis in Collierville. And he shared this lesson with me, and I told him, I, I said, you know, this is just too good. You realize I am going to have to steal this. And so today, I, I just I had to share some of this information with you. So I have to give a shout out to Terry and give him uh, give him props for the fact that I am stealing this from him. Didn't have to fix it, you know, change it up a little bit. But uh, still, I, I want to certainly pass on to him to honor do him for such a fine lesson that I want to share with you this morning. Here in America, we're actually in a very interesting place. I uncovered some statistics this week. Uh, Back before the 1900s, the average American, per year, ate five pounds of sugar. In 1999, the average American ate 158 pounds of sugar. In 1942, the average American drank 60 12-ounce servings of Coke per year. Now, if you're not from the South, Coke means pop, soda, or carbonated beverage, not just Coca-Cola. Okay? So 60 12-ounce servings of Coke. But in 1997, now remember, that was a little over one a week in 1942. In 1997, 576 servings. That's almost to a day. In the 1950s, the average American ate four pounds of French fries per year. But in 2001, the average was 30 pounds a year of that golden fried goodness. And I got thinking about that this week, I realized, because Jonathan Gilbert, I don't think, eats French fries. And I think I'm probably that other person that gets it from zero to 30, because I eat 60 pounds. However, 32% of Americans meet the USDA Daily Recommended Allowance of Vegetables. Only 28% hit the USDA Daily Recommended Allowance of Fruits. And only 11% of Americans hit the USDA Daily Recommended Allowance of both. that puts us in a very interesting position. Because what that means is, is that America is one of the most overweight nations in the world. And yet, despite how much we eat, we are also undernourished. We're not receiving the nourishment that we actually need from the things that we eat. Now, I'm not just telling you about the dietary habits of America, although folks like me should probably listen to that and begin to think about those kind of things. Thank you. You know, I was going to tell you, uh, I I was a little bit hurt because for five years I've been trying to get people to say amen in sermons, and every once in a while I can get it. Jim Boyd has been here just a couple of months, makes a comment before the collection, and gets an amen. Okay, maybe we should get Jim up here preaching more, I don't know. Wow. Wow. I'm about to just turn you to Acts 238 and be done. (laughs) Anyway, obviously more important than what we eat is about our spiritual intake. The sad thing is that I think as Americans that our physical diet may mirror our spiritual diet. Americans are religious. We've got churches on every corner. People go to church every week. John 3.16 is shown at every sporting event. We see religion everywhere. But the sad thing is, I think, that we like our religion as we like our food. We like it easy. We like it fluffy. We like it deep-fried, tasty, sugar-coated, and fast. And what we need to learn is that we must not be junk food Christians. The question is not, are we religious and are we doing religious things? The question is, are we gaining the spiritual nutrition from the things that we're doing, from the religion in which we're involved? Or are we overfed and at the same time undernourished spiritually? Are we starving to spiritual death? The passage we just read in Amos moments ago, demonstrates the same kind of thing. God said there that the days were coming, this is in Amos chapter 9 and verse 11, God said the days are coming when I'll send a famine on the land. It's not a famine of bread nor thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Interestingly, within the context of Amos, this is not God saying that I'm going to bring some kind of punishment on you that's just wholly different from anything you're doing. He's not saying that as much as as you're going to the contrary of this, I'm just taking the word from you. Rather, Jesus is demonstrating, or God rather, is demonstrating a natural consequence of what the folks in Israel had been doing. The famine had already started. God is not saying that opposed to what you're doing, I'm going to bring this famine on. God is basically saying, you've started it, I'm going to finish it. You don't want the word? I'm going to take it away from you. And you're finally going to get to a point where you'll look for it and you won't find it because you have a spiritual famine. But the folks in Israel were very religious. I'd like for us to take just a few moments to take a look in the book of Amos about the junk food religion they had going on. But obviously, this is not just supposed to be historical. We're not just trying to look at the way things were for them. We need to take a look at us today. And easily, of course, we could look at everybody out there, but rather, let's look at ourselves and see how we compare. Then, when we're done looking at what happened in Amos, we're going to take a look at the kind of food, spiritually, that we really need. Before we get into that, would you bow with me, please, and pray. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you for loving us. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen us to pursue your will, that we might not simply be feeding on junk food, but that we might be feeding upon the soul food that you have provided for us, that we can feed on your word, that we can pursue righteousness and morality, that we'll rely and depend upon you. Father, that we won't give ourselves over to materialism, we pray that you would strengthen us to be pure of heart and sincere. Help us to overcome the tempter. Father, we pray that you would break his teeth and out of his mouth and tear, take away his traps and his snares. Father, we ask that you would break the legs of our enemy who constantly tries to get us to fall. Place our feet on a wide place, on firm ground that we might fight against the enemy, that we might overcome and we might be victorious. We know that you hear us, Father. We know that you see what's going on in our lives. We pray that you would strengthen us through it all. Father, again, we love you. And we thank you so much for loving us. Through your Son we pray. Amen. Well, we take a look at Amos and we see the junk food that undernourishes. The number one issue that we find throughout the book of Amos, and this is talked about over and over and over again, is the idea of religious corruption. Corrupt religion, doing things that are spiritual that just aren't the way God wants them to be. The folks in Israel were very religious and they did things that were similar to what God had asked, but they twisted it, they perverted it, they changed it ever so slightly and then of course they got further and further away. If we look in Amos chapter 2 verse 11, notice what it says. In Amos chapter 2 and verse 11, the scripture there says, I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites." Is it not indeed so, O people of Israel, declares the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, You shall not prophesy. God had given them prophets, and they told them, Don't prophesy. Then this concept is repeated in chapter 5 and verse 10. In Amos chapter 5 and verse 10, it says of these Israelites, They hate him who reproves in the gate. They abhor him who speaks the truth. And then this is all capped off with a practical example in chapter 7, beginning at verse 10. In chapter 7, beginning at verse 10, it says that Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is the temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and do not preach against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall be a prostitute in the city and your sons and your daughters shall fall by the sword and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. By the way, the Jeroboam mentioned in this passage is not the first Jeroboam who split off from Rehoboam, but a second king. Uh, later in Israel's history, also named Jeroboam. But notice what happened here. The prophet of God has been raised up, and they say, don't don't say that here. Go down to Judah and prophesy there. We don't want to hear it. Reminds me of what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 3, and if you're going to turn there, you're going to keep your finger in Amos because that one's hard to find. We're going to be back there in just a second. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. People will want to hear the truth. And so they'll tell those teachers who teach the truth to be quiet and go preach somewhere else. That's what was happening in Israel. Now remember when the original Jeroboam had split off from Israel and from Rehoboam, that he set up altars in Bethel and in Dan. Here in the book of Amos, God rebukes them for this false form of worship. In Amos chapter 3 and verse 14, notice what God says. In Amos chapter 3 and verse 14, On the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And then again in chapter 8, and this time again verse 14, chapter 8 and verse 14, Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. You see, they had made their little ship. They didn't go to Jerusalem. It was too inconvenient to cross the borders and go down to Jerusalem. And so, to make things convenient, they set up altars in Bethel and Dan, and God says that those altars will be punished. They shouldn't be following this corrupt religion. The people of Israel were filled with religion. You can look in Amos chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And again, he mentions Bethel here. In Amos chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leaven, and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. They love to bring their sacrifices. They love to bring their tithes. They love to bring their offerings. You see this checklist that they're going through. Oh, we love to do this. But God said it's not doing you any good. And then in chapter 5, verses 21 through 24, He said, I hate, I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Yeah, they were religious, but God hated their religion because their religion was not following God's will. They weren't listening to the Lord. They weren't doing what the Lord said. They had come up with their own system of doing things. And they loved to do it. Oh, they were religious. They were spiritually minded by their definitions. But God said, what you're doing is an abomination. It's not helping you. But what about us? We need to take a look at ourselves. Where do we fit? I mean, we're religious. We're spiritual. We live in a nation. It's spiritually minded in general. Churches on every corner. What about us? Are we following God's will or are we making up our own religion? Are, doing, are we doing things because we like them as opposed to because this is what God has asked of us? Would God have to look at us and say, yes, you're religious, but I despise and I hate your religion? Instead, pursue righteousness and let justice flow down. The Israelites should have realized that there was a problem with their spirituality. Because in Amos chapter 8, beginning at verse 4, In Amos chapter 8 and verse 4, it says, Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver, and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the chafe of the wheat. They should have realized something was wrong. They loved their religion, but they couldn't wait for their religion to be over. When's the Sabbath going to be done so we can get back to cheating people? They should have been able to recognize that they had lost something in their religion because it had become a list of checklists, things to get through before they could get on with the more important things. What about us? Maybe we're doing the right things, but do we view them as a checklist of things to get through so we can get on with the things that are more important? Corrupt religion. But this passage also demonstrates something else for us. It demonstrates that there's a cycle. Corrupt religion is almost never just found in a vacuum. There are other things that go along with it. And as they pursue other forms of spiritual junk food, it causes their religion to become corrupt. And as the religion becomes more corrupt, then they pursue more forms of that spiritual junk food. And there's three other things that we see in Amos. They're all mentioned just once, but they're all mentioned forms of junk food spiritually and we need to check ourselves against them. The first is self-reliance. Relying on themselves. In Amos chapter 6. In Amos chapter 6 and verse 13. God talks about their rejoicing. You who rejoice in lo Debar, Your translation may say nothing. You who rejoice in nothing. Who say, have we not by our own strength captured carneum for ourselves? Yours may say captured horns. The picture of a horn was a picture of strength. That's the imagery that was conveyed by that. And so what Israel is saying is, we've captured the strength of someone else by our own strength. They had relied upon themselves. So little did they rely on God that back in verse 10... It says, when one's relative, the one who anoints him for burial shall take him up to bring the bones out of his house and shall say to him, who is in the innermost parts of the house? Is there still anyone with you? He shall say, no, and he shall say, silence. We must not mention the name of the Lord. So little do they rely on the Lord and so much did they rely upon themselves that they didn't even want to say the name of the Lord and attract his attention. They wouldn't rely on God, but they relied on themselves for their own strength and power. What about us? Do we feed on that junk food of self-reliance? Now, I know all of us have the idea that when things get too hard, we're going to turn to God. But the problem is, is that so often we have this idea that the easy things we can do on our own. We need to realize that we can't do anything except it be from God. Do we reserve God for the really tough things? Or do we acknowledge God in all our ways, recognizing that even our ability to breathe is only because of God's mercy and grace? The ability that we have to get up and walk across the floor here is only because of God's grace. We live and move and have our very being because of God's grace. Are we relying on ourselves or are we relying upon God? The third form of spiritual junk food that they ate was materialism focusing on material things and material pleasures. There in Amos chapter 6, notice verse 1. In Amos chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Skip down to verse 4. Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory, and stretch themselves out on their couches, and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall who sing idol songs to the sound of the harp, and like David, invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Woe to those who are at ease, who are stretched out on beds of ivory. They're filled with all these physical and material blessings. And when, when they're being talked to about the ruin of Joseph, they look around and say, what ruin? I don't see any ruin. Things are fine for me. I'm blessed. And How easy it is when someone has material blessing to interpret that to equal that I must be right with God. That's exactly what these folks were doing. They were ignoring the judgment that God was performing all around them because it hadn't hit them yet. They were focused on material goods. They saw safety in material things. Not in God. What about us? We're a blessed people. And I know that that some of us are going through struggles now because of the the financial climate in our economy, but many of us here could be those who are still stretching out on beds of ivory, and, and we say things like, Well, I'm told there's an economic decline, but I haven't felt it. And how easy it is for us to say, I'm blessed. And we cover up our materialism in a cloak acting like it's God's blessing upon us. certainly God blesses. And if you're blessed by God, I'm not trying to say that's a sin. But we need to look at our hearts and our attitude and, and how we deal with material things. Do we assume that because we've got material goods that we're right with God? Do we ignore the ruin that's going on around us because things are okay for us still? Do we find our safety and our security in our savings account and our IRAs and our retirement? The house in which we live, the cars we drive? That's spiritual junk food. We can feed on that, but we'll starve to death. And finally, in the book of Amos, we see that they fed on immorality. And it even intermingled with their religion. In Amos chapter 2, beginning at verse 6, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken and pledged. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. They sell the righteous, they trample the poor. But even worse, father and son go into the same prostitute. And they do that laying down on a garment that they've taken from somebody by pledge, which is against the law. And they do it in front of the altar that's supposed to honor God. Immorality. Chapter 3 and verse 10. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. They don't know how to do right. They know how to rob and be violent. They're pursuing immorality. They're pursuing the pleasures of the flesh. The selfish things by which they take from others and bring to themselves. They think that they're going to be fulfilled. They think the more that they grab, the more of life's pleasures that they experience, that somehow they'll have fulfillment. But they're going to starve to death spiritually because that's junk food. What about us? Now, I have no doubt that at least we can say, hey, listen, I've never committed adultery at the foot of the Lord's Supper table. So I'm not as bad as they are. But do we sometimes just simply push the world at an arm's distance? so that as the world moves, we follow right behind? And the things that we wouldn't have done years ago, we're doing today because we've allowed the world to influence us. Perhaps we're not involved actively in adultery or immorality, but are we entertained by that? Let's face it, if we feed on the immoralities of the world in our books, and our movies, our television shows, and our songs, that's junk food. It's going to corrupt our souls, and we'll remove the nutrients from what we're doing spiritually. Where are we? Are we feeding on immorality? Where are you? Now, Satan wants us to believe that all of these things will fulfill us, they'll provide for us, they'll make us happy, they'll make us whole, they'll make us useful, but they're killing us. They're destroying us. They're good in the moment, they're fast, they're easy. But in the long run, they're filling us with all kinds of spiritual sickness. And I wish what I could do is go to the book of Amos and let you know how they heard God's warning and they turned everything around and they got back to God's soul food and were filled with nutrition and nourishment and they lived, but that's not what happened. They didn't listen to His warning. They heard the warning and they just kept on doing what they were doing until God finally punished them. And took them captive by the nation of Assyria. But there is another story, the story of Josiah, king of Judah, that you can read about in Second Chronicles chapter 34, which we can find by way of contrast. And in the story of Josiah, we find about the soul food that nourishes, the food that really strengthens our soul. Because, you see, when Josiah became king, he actually inherited a nation that was in very much the same situation as Israel did. Manasseh, his grandfather, had been one of the worst kings in Judah's history. He had put up high places and put altars to false gods in the temple. Done wicked things and led Judah to sin wickedly. In fact, his, his wickedness was so bad, he became the benchmark that God used to talk about why he was judging Judah in Babylon. Manasseh repented later on in years and and came back, but the influence of his sin is what remained, not the influence of his penitence. And his son, Amon, followed in his footsteps and was even more wicked and was killed after two years. His subjects rose up and killed him, and Josiah became king. According to 2 Chronicles 34 and verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years. Y'all, my son Ethan is nine. I just want you to think about that. Ethan as king. I don't know if that says more about the king then or more about what, the way we let kids just founder today, but we, that's another lesson. But he was eight years old when he became king. And he turned Judah around. And because of what he did, God held off the judgment that he was planning for Judah. There are four things that I noticed from Josiah that he did. The very first thing is, he began to seek God. In verse 3 it says, In the eighth year of his reign, that's when he's 16 years old, when he was in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. This is what God had told the folks in Amos to do. In Amos chapter 5 and verse 4, in Amos chapter 5 and verse 4, he said, Seek me and live. But they didn't seek him. Josiah, on the other hand, realizes that they've gone after other gods and he starts to change it. He begins to seek God. That's exactly what we need to do today. If we're going to have the soul food that nourishes, if we're going to have spiritual life, we don't need to be seeking entertainment. We don't need to seek popularity. We don't need to seek fame. We don't need to seek material goods. We don't need to seek all the things that will please all the people around us. We need to seek God. We need to seek God through His Word. We need to find where God is and go there. Not expecting God to come find us. We need to seek Him. Seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. Put that search and that pursuit ahead of everything else in our lives. And if we thank you, if we do that, then we'll start having the nourishment that we need. The second thing that He did is He got rid of the junk food. There in chapter 3, Excuse me, chapter 34 and verse 3. He began to seek the God of David his father, and in the twelfth year, when he's 20 years old, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim, the carved, and the metal images. And they chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them, and he broke in pieces the Asherim, and the carved, and the metal images, and he made dust of them, and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem, and in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, and as far as Naphtali and their ruins all around. He broke down the altars and beat the Asherim the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. In fact, if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 23, in 2 Kings chapter 23, as we look at the story of Josiah as it's told in that reading, it points out, Then he went up into Israel, and that altar at Bethel, he cut that down. In 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 15, moreover, the altar at Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Now, this is not the Jeroboam we read about in Amos. This is the first Jeroboam. The the altar erected by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, the altar with the high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to dust. He also burned the Asherah. And as Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mount. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the altar and defiled it, according to the word of the Lord, that the man of God proclaimed who had predicted these things. Then he said, What is that monument that I see? And the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and predicted these things that you have done against the altar at Bethel. And he said, Let him be. Let no man move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came out of Samaria." Remember that a prophet came to Jeroboam, that first Jeroboam, and said that this this altar is going to be broken. It's going to be defiled. He's going to come and he's going to burn the bones of the priests upon it. And that's exactly what Josiah did. And he fulfilled that prophecy. And he got rid of the corrupt religion. He got rid of the junk food. You see, that's what we have to do. We've got to get rid of it on a spiritual level. We need to understand that it's not good for us to mix the real nutrition with something that's junky. You know, in our physical lives, that may be okay may not have to get rid of all the French fries. I sure hope not. But when it comes to the spiritual things, we've got to get rid of all that and pursue God's food. How are we doing on that? Are we mixing things? We go into church on Sunday and talking about how we're following the things that are true. But then throughout the week, we're mixing in the things of the world. How are we doing on that? The third thing that he did he repaired the Lord's house. Back in Second Chronicles chapter 34, and verse 8, Now in the 18th year of his reign, remember now he's 26 years old, when he had cleansed the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. And the next few verses tell us about that. As we look at this in the history, we may wonder how we can find any point of transference over onto us. But when I read about this, I can't help but think about what God said in Haggai chapter 1. Remember when the children of Judah were restored after their captivity. In Haggai chapter 1, they had not been building the house of the Lord. And here's what God said to them there. This is in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 5. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways... You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busied themselves with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and on the hills, and on the grain, and the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. When the children came back from their captivity and started working on their own houses instead of the house of God, God was pointing out, This is why you're having so much trouble. I think we need to think about this in this day and age where we're having some economic insecurity. Some of us respond to that by thinking that before I get to those spiritual things, got to make sure that my material house is in order because I'm relying on jobs, I'm relying on money, I'm relying on savings, I'm relying on retirement accounts. God says if you put that first instead of building the house of the Lord first, I'm just going to take all that away. You're going to be putting all that extra money into pockets with holes in them. when we build the house of the Lord first, we're seeking first His kingdom and righteousness, as Matthew 6.33 says. We're seeking the Lord and we're relying on Him to sustain us and to provide for us. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our strong and mighty tower. He will lift us up on wings like eagles so that we can run and not grow weary. We can walk and not faint. God can do that. We have to be building His house first. Interestingly, back in Amos, back in Amos chapter 2, God had tried to talk to the folks in Amos about relying on him. See, they remember, they were relying on self, relying on material goods. He reminded them in chapter 2 and verse 9, Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and who was as strong as the oaks, I destroyed his fruit above and his roots beneath. Also, it was I who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and led you 40 years in the wilderness to possess the land of the Amorites. And I raised up some of your sons for prophets and some of your young men for Nazarites. Is it indeed so? Is it not indeed so, people of Israel, declares the Lord? He said, rely on me. I'm the one who's done all this. When we face these times, especially the hard times, what are we relying on? Are we relying on God? That's what Josiah did. He built the house of the Lord. The final thing, he fed on God's word. In verse 19, in verse 19 they had found the law of the Lord, and it said when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. We go down to verse 30. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah, <coughs> excuse me, with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the levites, all the people both great and small, and he read in there hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join in it. The inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. This was Josiah's greatest victory. Finding the law of the Lord. That's really amazing. When you look at these other three things, that was actually before they had found the law. The law had been lost. But he knew there was a God that he really was supposed to follow. And he was supposed to honor you remember how in Amos those folks kept pushing away from God's word and he finally said, you'll look for my word and you'll never find it? So Josiah did the exact opposite. He looked for God when God's word wasn't there. And God brought him to his word. And he fed on his word. And he fed the people from God's word. He brought them all to the temple and they just read it. And they listened. And they made the covenant to follow God's will. God's word is described in many ways and... In Ephesians chapter 6, it's called the sword of the Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 4, it's called a double-edged sword. In James chapter 1, it's called a mirror into which we can look. In Psalm 119, 105, it's called a lamp to our feet and a light to our way. In 1 Peter chapter 1, it's called an imperishable seed that brings about life. But it's also often related to food. Psalm 19 that we sang before the lesson, It's sweeter than honey. We can eat and partake of it, and it is sweeter than honey. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the first couple of verses, it's called the milk, upon which we, like babes, can gain strength. Then in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, not only do they talk about the milk, but they talk about the solid food that the mature can eat. And then in John chapter 6, the word is connected with the bread of life which comes from Jesus. As the apostles, after his statement about eating what brings life, said, we know that you have the words of life. The words of Jesus are the bread of life. You want to eat real spiritual food, soul food that will provide life? Chicken soup for the soul, and you're going to get the job done. Dr. Phil, he can help. I'm sure he said some good things. If all you feed on is Dr. Phil, you're going to starve to death. This right here can provide life. Staying in this book, following what it says, not following the creeds of men, not pursuing a man-made religion that says, I'm going to do what I want because it feels good to me, but just staying in the Word of God, worshiping according to this, serving according to this, loving others according to this, being in the Word of God. It's not homework to check off our checklist. It's the way of life. Without feeding on this, you're going to die. Not because you're just judged because you didn't do it enough, but because without being in the Word, there is no life. That's the only place we can find the food for our soul that we need to be nourished and lifted up. So the question is, which are we going to be? Are we going to be the Israelites in Amos' day? Are we going to be the Judeans in Josiah's day? We need to seek the Lord. We need to get rid of the spiritual junk food. We need to build the Lord's house. And we need to feed on His Word. Remember the promise of Jesus if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, He'll open the door for you. It's what He did with Josiah. It's what He'll do for us. Can you rely on God? He will take care of you. Stay in His Word. I know times are tough. I know times are scary. I know things are frightening. But if we pursue things the way they did in Amos Day, it's just going to get worse. And we'll have no hope. But if we act like Josiah, material things may get worse. But we'll be anchored in God and we'll make it. Which way are you going? I hope this lesson edifies you.
0: Most of all, I hope it glorified God. Let's remember what we've learned. If we feed on spiritual junk food, we'll starve to spiritual death. Spiritual junk food is, one, corrupted religion, two, self-reliance, three, materialism, four, immorality. However, if we follow in the footsteps of Josiah, we can gain spiritual life from God's real soul food. We need to, one, seek the Lord. Two, get rid of the junk food. Three, rebuild the Lord's house. Four, feed on God's word. If you have any questions about this lesson or spiritual needs or prayer requests, please feel free to contact us by calling 615-794-2359. Or you can contact us through our website. That's franklinchurchofchrist.com. Don't forget, if you'd like to hear lessons like this one every week, subscribe to our podcast, Just go to iTunes, search for the Franklin Church of Christ, and hit subscribe. iTunes will serve up a sermon every week for you to listen and learn. If you're ever in the Middle Tennessee area, we'd love to meet you face-to-face. Please join us for any of our classes or assemblies. You can find times and directions on our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. Let us know that you've listened to our podcast. We look forward to meeting you. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.